Hello, and welcome to Mage, the Hero Described podcast. This is a show for fans of Matt Wagner's Mage. I'm Kevin, and this episode's topic is the color of magic and, you know, mage fan stories. Every longtime fan has one. I'm going to share mine, and I'd like to hear yours. First, an update about the pod. Episode 1, the review of The Hero Denied Zero, is recorded. I'm working on the website, finishing up show notes for Episode 1. going to work on show notes for this. And I'm also going to be putting up an as-mentioned-in-Episode 1 and Episode 2 image gallery, adding contact links and stuff like that. Possibly even a way to subscribe in case you want to get alerts whenever there's a new post or new information or a new podcast put out. And I still have to make a decision about where and how this is hosted. Now, I'm recording two episodes before publishing, because everything I've read about podcasting says you should have a few in the bag before you go live. So you're going to have to wait a little bit for the review of Issue 1 of Hero Denied, but I'm hoping to be on track to have podcasts out within a few days of each subsequent issue. I'm getting them in the mail, so I might be a little delayed behind people picking it up in the comic stores. It just works for me that way. Uh, this is my first podcast. There are going to be some rough edges as I get things worked out. Audio has been a bit of a challenge, so I'm looking to get a mic upgrade, get a mic stand. I'm very aware of how much I say, uh, ah, uh, and you know as I speak, so I'm working on that a lot. I'm also working on these Shatner-esque pauses I've noticed that I uh, occasionally drop into my speech. But, uh, you know, they're going to happen occasionally. A quick correction. In the first episode of this podcast, I mentioned that Mage as a series has no third-party narrator boxes, narration boxes, letting you know what's going on, what people are thinking, what's happened before, all that typical, where all that exposition tends to go. And I also said that there are no thought bubbles, that all we get is what people are actually saying. So it's a, as a comic experience, it's very in the now, very organic, very immediate, uh, very much like a movie. And of course, as I was doing some research, I discovered I was wrong. Now, I did address this in the show notes for podcast episode one, but I just thought I'd mention it here for anybody who, you know, doesn't read show notes. And I was taking a look back, and Kevin Matchstick definitely has some thought bubbles in the first few issues. And it seems to end, the last one seems to be in issue three. And there's a screen capture or a photo of that in... Screen capture. I'm just way too geeky. Anyways, there's a... That frame is in the as-mentioned-in-podcast-1 gallery. This is your spoiler warning. This is the third series in a trilogy. So things will be discussed from the first series, the second series. Just prepare to be spoiled. I'm going to spoil all over the place. And in this case, we're going to talk about the color of magic. Now... Best way to talk about magic, first of all, to set the idea of what it is and that it has a color, is to look at how it was described by Mirth in the very first series. You know, magic is green is a catchphrase for the Mage series when it first came out and since then. And what Mirth has to say when describing it is that, and I'm just going to quote directly from the comic, magic itself is best described as a river. 
Any user of its water must dip into its swift and restless depths. Its color is then perverted, depending on its use. Green is pure. The river is green. I am green. I am, after all, the world mage. You see, the river flows through me freely. I don't have to dip into it. I am its faucet into this world. And, of course, in Hero Discovered, Mirth is constantly surrounded by green. Green bubbles here, green bubbles there, green, green everywhere. Shortly after Mage the Hero Discovered concluded, a t-shirt was released as part of the promotion activity and efforts for Mage 2. It shows Kevin Matchstick in front of a color wheel, red, blue, green, purple, yellow, and the question, what color is magic? And, of course, for fans, for those in the know, the answer is green. But as a payoff to that, late in Hero Defined, around issue 13, our heroes, our heroic trio, and Wally Utt are all sitting around discussing the color of magic. Kevin makes some kind of statement about why he doubts that Wally is a mage, or the world mage, the mage he's supposed to be meeting, is because he's not nearly green enough. And this stumps Joe Fat and Kirby Hero, both whom, of course, Kirby Hero argues with him first, saying, yeah, magic's not green, magic is red. It's like blood, and it's it's violent. And Joe Fat says that to him, it's blue, like the sea in the sky. At Kirby's behest, it's interesting here, because Kevin has no interest in what Waliat has to say. Really just another great example of him being pig-headed, refusing to open up his mind to get outside of his box. And Kirby is the one who says, hey, we should ask Wally his opinion. After all, there's some really strange things going on with him. He's clearly not just some ordinary guy. As Wally had just leapt off a cliff and gotten to the bottom intact with so the help of some magical parachute. And for, for Kirby, that was enough for him to say, hey, maybe there's something going on with this guy. Maybe he's not just this annoying kook that we've been dismissing all along. And Wally, spinning a purple cap on his fingers, says that the color of magic to him, well, he's always been partial to purple. It's the color of passion. And, of course, there's a great connection there to this particular manifestation or incarnation of Mirth, who has made reference to living multiple lives. It's really hard to tell because of the transformation between Mirth and Wally Ut, how much of Mirth has been with Wally the entire time, or is this something that Mirth could have done at any time? I don't think that Wally is Mirth necessarily. He has said that he is different people at different times. He has lived different lives. This strikes me as a different life, but I could be wrong. It's hard to tell. So the color of magic is up in the air. I think that the color of magic in the case of this issue is going to be primarily green, but I think it's also interesting to note that when we see Kevin's power, Kevin's power, he is surrounded by white electrical energy. His color seems to be white. His magic seems to be white. And I don't mean to get into this white magic, black magic kind of thing. Some people have noted in the past that in Hero Discovered, when the Umbra Sprite uses magic, it's primarily red. That would be the color it changes based on the user. As Mirth says, its color is perverted depending on its use. And, of course, red dominates the Hero Defined 
with the pale encanter, with Emil. He's surrounded by red. That's what he's cloaked in. And that was, I think, the color of his tie, even, in the first series. But I think we're going to see a return of green here. And, and I think Kevin's color, his magical color, is in many ways white. That's how it manifests around him. So let's talk about mage stories, mage fan stories. Lots of fans have them. For a comic series that spans just over 30 issues over as many years, it's a dedicated fan base. There are people like David Steinberger, who created the uh, website The Annotated Mage, The Hero Discovered. This is a site that looks at myths and legends that informed the first series, and he's kept that site up forever. There are cosplayers, numerous bat-wielding fans... Uh, recently, I saw Matt Wagner post something on Facebook of one fan at a convention who actually had a bat that lit up. Must have had a battery pack somewhere in there. It's just this great picture of this guy with a lit up glowing bat. I'll, I'll add it in the as mentioned in section for this podcast. And there are other people like, and I hope I'm getting this name right, I think it's Jessosaurus, who is a professional model, looks like a bodybuilder, professional model, cosplayer type. And he and his wife or girlfriend do a lot of couples cosplay together. And he did some amazing Kevin Matchstick cosplay photos. Professionally done in this case. And it seems to be what this guy does for a living. But he's got the bulk. He's got this Kevin Matchstick physique. So I'll post a few of those to the as mentioned in section as well. And of course, there are the fans. There's the writers, those who have written into incantations, the mage letter column. And they write in with praise, theories, observations, questions, and the silent majority who just enjoy reading it and have been waiting and waiting. Finally, there are the fans with a certain amount of name recognition. Kevin Smith, the director, I believe... I even spotted, and it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, but in the opening credits of Chasing Amy, I think you actually see something about Mage's back, or there's a flash of a Mage cover, or a news story about Mage. Shelley Roberg, a Vertigo editor, wrote into the letter column for Hero Defined. A letter from Shelley and actually a letter also from Kevin Smith are both featured in the incantations column of issue one of The Hero Defined. Sam Keith, who worked with Matt on Hero Discovered, also wrote in a letter that was published in that issue. So we've got a lot of fans with name recognition, and it's enjoyed both by fans in general and people in the comic industry as well. So here's my story. I'm going to share it, and I hope that you'll share yours with me and the pod community. For me, I think it was the summer of 1986. And at the time, I was reading some X-Men, which was really working hard to just lose me as a reader. And the independent comic boom was just in full swing. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was out. It was still in its magazine black and white format. It was still very much a satirical skewering of comic book tropes. And I had a few issues of those just to see what the deal was with it. And frankly, everybody was talking comic book speculation. Pick this up. It'll be worth a million dollars in 10 years or whenever. <laughs> and of course, those issues are worth a lot of money. And of course, I don't have them anymore. There was uh, Cerebus was roughly in the middle or just pre-middle of its 300-issue arc. Love and Rockets was still going strong. And there were interesting experimental pieces like the six-issue Kafka by Steven Siegel and Stefano Guadiano. I think that's how you say his name. Uh, so there was a lot of, there was a lot of amazing stuff out there. 
And a lot of it was questionable. A lot of it was great. So I was about 17 years old. I'm visiting family in Manhattan, just spending my days knocking around aimlessly, you know, listening to my Walkman, who knows, a nonstop soundtrack of whatever. And I pass this comic store and I see the covers of issue 13 and issue 14. And I think what got me to stop was... Kevin's exclamation of no on the cover of 13. That really got my attention. And there are a few other things going on there. There's the green bat. There's Mirth with his shock of white hair. You see Edsel's hand. Something's going on off panel. And both Kevin and Mirth are looking at something and you don't know what. You can't see. You're not quite sure what's going on. At least I wasn't sure what was going on because having never seen an issue of the comic before, or maybe I'd seen a cover here or there and it never just quite captured me, I had no idea who would have been holding this bat. And the colors, the airbrush work, that was unlike anything I had seen at that time. I don't think anybody was doing anything like that. And next to it was the cover of issue 14, which is much calmer, but just as intriguing. There you have Kevin and Mirth sitting, and it's, okay, so what's with the guy with the white hair? Is he floating? What's going on with his leg? What's going on in the background with all this electricity arcing off of? I'm not even sure I recognized that it was the bat. Uh, or, or a dumpster as per, you know, the events in the previous issue. Cause I'm just looking at this cover with no point of context, but it was really intriguing and those airbrushed colors. Wow. So I, I went in there and, you know, picked that up and it was, it, you know, reading the issues, I was totally lost. A lot of characters I didn't know on a mission that I was clueless about. Some bad guy with a magic something gun. Everybody's in, you know, it opens up. Issue 13 opens up in this, in the, fairy realms clearly something has gone on before and of course that that green color of magic with the black silhouettes in front of them you know was just eye-popping again unlike anything i'd ever really seen in your typical you know mainstream comic or even other independent comics at the time and then edsel's death the revelation of kevin's identity i mean wow so I had these two comics, and a few months later, issue 15 came out. This was way pre-internet, so it took me years to find and gather the remaining issues. Uh, whenever I would travel someplace, I would stop into random comic stores and search long boxes, hoping to find an issue or two that I didn't own. And while I loved the story and the artwork of Mage, and was totally caught up in it, I think that is part of what really made it so powerful for me, was that it had become more than a comic, it had become a quest. I was slowly piecing this story together bit by bit, often out of order, or with big pieces of the action missing. And I think part of what made me do that was issue 14. That conversation between Kevin and Mirth, that distillation of his initial denial to become the hero, and Mirth's references to his clamorous inactivity and the disservice it does to the sacrifices of others and his eventual acceptance that he needs to get up off his ass and just do this was i think what really kept me wanting to learn the backstory how did he get here and what what's going on behind this as I was looking around, I managed to find some of the Mage Book collections. That helped fill in some gaps as I looked for individual copies of the earlier issues. I I remember finding, finally, issue number nine. I think it was the last one I needed. I found it in a comic store in San Francisco, and you would have thought I'd won the damn lottery. And another lucky find was a green 
bound hardcover release of the first five issues of Mage. I got that at some random little half-comic store, half-convenience store that I was just driving past one day, had never noticed it before. Thought, oh, well, I'll just stop in and take a look around and see what they've got. And there's this green hardback covered issue that says Mage, the hero discovered on it. I pick it up, I bring it up to the desk thinking I'm never going to be able to afford this. And it was on sale, or at least it, they, they were selling it for 15 bucks. I nearly choked. It was 1992 or so. And of course, in the meantime, I got the Mage Bolt t-shirt. I painted lightning bolts on the side of some red Converse high tops uh, inspired by Interlude. And I grabbed a copy of that Mage 2 What Color is Magic promo art t-shirt. And Mage just insisted on not being released. Mage 2 insisted on not being released. And I stopped reading comics. At some time in the late 90s, I moved to Phoenix, decided to start looking into comics again. I stopped into Atomic Comics. Great store, great people, great stores. I think they've got a few stores around there. And I learned that Mage 2 was actually about to be released. And I was starting my web design business at the time, and the release of Hero Defined gave me a really good excuse just to play around with HTML and Photoshop and, frankly, just to exercise my inner fanboy. Play with work. And being in, in Phoenix, I was introduced to some artwork by Jim Mafood, and he's got this funky, fresh style. He was doing a lot of uh, a lot of work for the local club scene. I think he was doing some album covers. He was doing some independent work. He had done some work, I think, for Dark Horse, tied to what Kevin Smith had going on at the time with Jay and Silent Bob. He did a really neat issue of Generation X. And I wanted to see his take on Kevin Matchstick. So I commissioned a piece by him. It's really something else. I'll see if I can get a photo of it up in the As Mentioned section for this episode. I was fortunate enough to connect with Matt Wagner, and we held two or three live chat interviews. And these were more or less primitive Reddit-style live casts, Q&As with fans. And I also discovered, much to my chagrin, that the mage statue by Randy Bowen, uh, the one with Kevin standing with the bat above his head, does not travel across country well. Despite tons of padding and careful packaging, I now have a super-glued statue where Kevin's hand broke when it, where it holds the bat. And now, of course, it's 18 years later, and with The Hero Denied coming out, I felt it was time to finally bite the bullet and jump into podcasting. I'd been looking at it for a while, and this seemed like the perfect reason, the perfect way for me to follow up to the website for Hero Defined and take this into a medium that makes sense for right now. So that's my story. I'd really like to hear yours. Head on over to magetheherodescribed.com and either write me. And feel free to send photos if they help to tell your story, show cosplay costumes, bats, tattoos, or whatever, or call in and leave a voicemail. I'll try to share as many stories as possible on the pod, and I'll be looking into including audio feedback into the pod as well. Uh, I'll do that on a message-by-message you know, message basis, depending. I'm not looking to get baba buoyed. All right. That's it for this episode of Mage, the Hero Described Podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to join me next time when I'll really review... Issue one, I am holding back from reading all of the reviews that have come out. If you have any comments or thoughts about issue zero, the issue zero, the Mage series overall, the color of magic, your fan story, again, visit Mage the Hero Described and uh, share your thoughts. If you've enjoyed this podcast, as everybody in the podcast world says, 
please rate and review it on iTunes. I understand it really helps other listeners discover the show. Or feel free to follow the podcast on Facebook and share the site, share the posts with your friends. Thanks for listening, and until next episode, stay excellent.